What is up, People First Leaders? My name is Chris Lin, and I am your advocate and host for the Leading People First podcast, where we are set to transform the workplace. I'm happy you're tuning in and joining me on this journey as we talk about leadership and its effect on the employee experience. So you may have noticed that this is part one of a three-part episode. It's because I have a very special guest, and when I first met her, I wanted to explore her story and work in depth. Celia is an Asian Indian non-op trans woman of color who is an entrepreneur, musician, photographer, storyteller, activist, and filmmaker. She is a management consultant with over 20 years of success in Fortune 100 companies like Amgen, Gilead, Genentech, United Health, Blue Cross, and AmeriChoice. Celia brings an amazing intersectional blend of ethnicity, creativity, culture, religion, and corporate experience in her activism, and received the 2019 Human Rights Campaign's Equality Award for outstanding commitment and service to our community. When Celia and I spoke, we both knew that we wanted to talk about multiple topics, and I really didn't want to hold back, so this episode is broken into the three parts. This first part that you're currently listening to has Celia sharing her story, the struggles she's had with gender dysphoria, the impact of trauma and suppression of her authentic self, and some more information to help clarify any questions you might have about the LGBTQ community. The second part really focuses on corporate diversity, equity, and inclusion, and the importance of allyship and community activism. The final third part of the episode really hones in on Christianity, the intersectionality of religion, and leadership. I hope you take the time to listen to all three episodes because Celia's story is incredible and her work is even more amazing. So let's dive right in. Hi, Celia. Thanks for coming on. Hi, Chris. It's uh, wonderful to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I know that we, you know, we've talked a little bit and it's been uh, a really great conversation. I'm glad that I can have you on for a bit longer than my usual standard uh, uh, episodes. So you know, let's just jump right into it. You know, let's, uh, why don't you share, you know, your, your whole story. I would, you know, I would love for my listeners to understand where you're coming from. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I identify as an Asian Indian and I'm an immigrant. I'm a brown person. I am an entrepreneur, a musician, a photographer, a movie maker, and I'm a parent and I'm married to a beautiful woman. Uh, she's cisgender. So I have so many intersectionalities in my life and I have uh, been living in um, in US for a while and I also lived in India for half my life, I would say, uh, till I got married. So it's been a while and uh, I have been living in more than two decades in this country uh, for me to know what is going on and to get involved with a lot that's happening. And also I am I, I'm a human rights activist and a transgender activist as well. The reason why my life completely transformed is um, the struggles that I went through in the past 40 years of my life and career. And I wouldn't say that um, it was all rosy. <laughs> you know, I, of course, I went through a lot in my life and I normally don't talk about it unless we have a forum like this. You know, I, I like to have a very heart-to-heart conversation about my life and share a little bit about my childhood and how I was trying to come out and, you know, the whole um, experience. And I want to talk about that as well. So um, having said that, I'm going to talk about my childhood uh, days. You know, I I grew up in uh, Chennai, which is the southern part of India. 
And I grew up in a beautiful, um, you know, it's a, it's a beach community. And I was so happy growing up there. And I remember that when I was four years old, I came out to my mom as um, having, you know, I want to be a girl. <laughs> and that's the only expression I knew at the time. And I wanted to be a girl. And I said, mom, I want to be a girl. And uh, my mom thought it was cute. You know, she was like, okay, go for it. And I was wearing some, my cousin's sister's clothes and I was just running around. I was putting the sari on my head and uh, pretending to be a girl. Um, it, it didn't continue for a long time. You know, after a point I knew that my mom, uh, I, I remember my mom telling me that, hey, you're a boy, you, you cannot be wearing this kind of your cousin's sister's clothes. Um, and I remember at the time that my gender wasn't doing justice to my anatomy. <laughs> it was a very unique time where I remember that, oh my God, I'm a boy. And, and I thought I could be a boy and a girl. But um, no, I, it felt like, you know, they were taking away my femininity and I didn't know what to do. I just went back into the closet. Uh, I, I wouldn't say went back into the closet. That's the first time I went into a closet. And I was... Um, so upset you know that I wanted to be a girl and I could not be a girl so I was trying hard to uh, suppress my femininity and I just learned to survive I remember uh, while I was in uh, high school I mean in, in school where I was uh, it, this was probably in the elementary I remember telling um, um, t telling my friends that you know when everyone used to ask what do you want to do when you're growing up and uh, we all had this ambition of doctor, engineer. <laughs> we talked about being an astronaut. And I, I would just say that I want to be a doctor, but deep inside, I knew that I just want to survive. I wanted to be a girl. Because I didn't know if I'm going to be a doctor. I didn't know that I would even uh, go that far. <laughs> um, for me, I didn't know what was going to happen to my life because I was struggling, starting to struggle at the time with my gender identity. And I was looking for people like me, you know, who were like me, who were struggling like me. And I found the Hijra community in India. They were the closest that I could relate to. And at the time, there was no media. And there was nothing out there. You know, you couldn't have, uh, there, even the television was just coming to our, our town. So there was nothing much out there. And I was just imagining stuff. And I, I remember when I saw the Hijra people, uh, getting kicked out of the train and being uh, mistreated. I was so upset and I thought, I identify with you, but I don't want to be you. Um, I want, I know that I am like you, but I don't want to beg, you know, I don't want to be dancing in the streets. I don't want to do this. And I was so struggling. I remember there were times when I was thinking, if I tell my parents, maybe I'll be kicked out of the house and I would end up doing what they're doing. And I was so scared. I didn't want to come out. Um, and my family was a conservative Christian family. My dad was a first con convert, Christian convert in our family. And uh, while we were uh, managing being, uh, you know, with, with all the relatives who are still Hindus, my family was also struggling um, to be a Christian family among all the Hindus. My mom had a lot more uh, restrictions and she was, trying to be um, trying to make sure that we are all really good Christians and there was a lot of pressure at the time I remember um, reading the Bible and every time I would read the Bible and when I come to this part and the word sin 
I would think that, oh my God, that's me. You know, I'm a boy and I want to be a girl. So I'm actually a sinful person and I'm going to hell if I do this. So I was wearing my mom's petticoat. Sometimes whenever I got a chance, I used to just pull her petticoat and wear it, um, pretend to be a girl. And I enjoyed those moments. But I remember I was really scared also, you know, like, wow, I'm going to hell. What would happen? So I used to ask for forgiveness. God, please forgive me. You know, this is something that I cannot let go. And I remember, they, and, and as, my, as days went on, um, in my fourth grade, I remember my uncle, um, my, you know, he molested me. And I didn't know how to react to it. And I was thinking that um, it's because I am different. And he did that to me. But I was at a point where I couldn't understand why and what was going on with my life. And I thought maybe, you know, this is what they do to people like me. And uh, just a couple of years after that, I, my cousin brother who was elder than me by five, six years. Um, he molested me again. Uh, and I was thinking to myself at the time that why are these people doing something to me? You know, something is wrong with me. And that's why they're doing it. And I just took it up on myself. And I said, um, this is me. It's not them. And I blamed myself for it. There were times when I was really, really struggling. And um, I was always having this white noise in my head that kept telling me that you are unworthy. You are not worth leaving, you know, living. And um, you are such a shame. You don't have a future. It was, a lot of hopelessness was running in my head. And uh, I just suppressed all those voices and I really wanted to express myself. And uh, in my ninth grade, I tried coming out again. And this was a time where I wore, a, uh, I stitched a long skirt by myself with a long piece of, um, you know, fabric. And I had, a, I had a, a pink top and I put on a, um, a scarf around my head, like a, like a hijab. And I remember walking out and then that's the first time I felt the breeze on my face and it was so amazing, you know, I was, and the, my skirt was all flying in the wind and I was walking through the streets. It was almost dusk and kind of a little bit dark there. I was so happy and you know, I was walking through the streets and I went through a construction site and there was a security guard who saw me and he said, hey, what are you doing? Come here. And I got scared because I shouldn't be walking through those construction sites. And I said, no, I'm just passing by. And he saw me and he immediately said, you're a boy. You know, what are you doing in this thing? You know, you're, oh, you are, you are a hijra or something like, you know, he used very derogatory words in Tamil at the time. And um, he started speaking to me uh, loudly and he started literally yelling at me. And there were people who were drinking and, you know, just resting at that, uh, in that, that construction site. A lot of construction workers, they all got up and they came and they were watching the fun. So while these people were all yelling at me and uh, they were literally publicly humiliating me, uh, it's called public shaming in India. You know, they catch you, they beat you, they do all kinds of things. And I knew at the time that they're going to beat me right there. And I was so scared and I was just standing and cringing um, my shoulders and I was saying, oh my God, I'm going to get hit. And they kept asking me, who's your father? Tell me who's your father. I'm going to beat you and take you to him. And I was so scared and I didn't want my dad to take the shame. So I just cringed myself and I said, you know, I'll take the shame, but I'm not going to tell them my dad, uh, who's my dad. My family shouldn't know this. And while they were all yelling and some women came, they all joined, they were all yelling. I stood there for a while and then suddenly I started talking in Hindi. <laughs> 
Um, and I spoke in another language, which is not spoken in the southern part of uh, India. And while I was, I, I told them that I, I'm going to the market and they kind of found that, hey, this person is a little different. And they told me that's the direction to the market. So I quickly took a few steps and then I started running. Um, and I, they didn't follow me because I ran so fast. And uh, I, I ran so fast, I came home and um, I removed everything. And I, I was sitting and crying because that night I could have, something could have happened. So from the next few days, I started doing, um, killing, I, I was always trying to kill myself. Like, I want to die, you know, I don't want to live because I don't have any hope. People hate me. Um, my parents, I can't tell them. If I come out to them, it's a shame. My religion tells me that I'm shame. I don't know if I can go to a doctor because they're going to put me in a psychiatric ward. I don't want to go through life. And I was just, um, you know, doing a lot of self-harm to myself. And I know that I was going through a lot of uh, trauma that I didn't realize at the time it was trauma. And um, it was gender dysphoria, actually. You know, a lot of that I knew now, but at the time I was wanting to be a girl and I could not be in my preferred gender. And I was crying and there were times when I was trying to kill myself and I um, put a plastic bag on my head. I tied my head behind my back and I wanted, you know, just choke myself and I was so scared. I was so afraid to die. Um, truly, I was afraid to die and I was also afraid to live. My life was so hard. Um, and I learned, just learned to again suppress and I just moved on. I said, let me just pull through some more time, see how long I can go. I did my uh, education. I did my master's and my bachelor's in computer science. Um, and then I was working. I had a good company. I was working in a good um, research institute and I was having a good job. And there was a time when my parents said, hey, don't you want to get married? I was in my mid-20s and I got down. You know, I, I was attracted to uh, women. I was not attracted to men at all. <laughs> So that's one of the reasons why I couldn't understand what was going on with me. If I was attracted to men, I would probably know that, hey, maybe I'm gay. Mm -hmm. But uh, since I was attracted, even today, and I'm always attracted to women. Um, so I was, and I wanted to be a woman too. So I, um, I could not get it. I was like, what is going on with me? You know, why am I different? And I was confusing my sexual orientation and my gender identity at the time. And um, so there were times when I, um, so we got married and I, I was so attracted to my wife. We got married and uh, I came to this country um, through my work visa and I was uh, very much required. You know, I was working for Dun & Bradstreet at the time and uh, much in a financial firm. I was in New York. Um, so I stayed in New Jersey and I was commuting back and forth. So I did quite a lot, quite well uh, work-wise because I was focusing on my job and trying to get things right in my work, um, yeah. in my professional life. And I did really well. You know, I was doing um, good business development and I knew a lot about, um, you know, in my work, I did well. So there were times when I was um, struggling, um, you know, I was struggling personally, but professionally I was doing okay. And then my daughter was born. Um, I didn't even know that I could actually give birth to a child because I was so scared. I thought, you know, maybe I'm such an important person. Um, I always had a very low self-esteem about myself.
But when it came to work, I completely hit the Celia and I was like, I'm this man and I'm going to show them that I'm successful. So I really, really was very arrogant also, you know, as a man, uh, as Daniels, I was very arrogant. And I was such a very brash businessman, kind of. It was just an outward expression of my inner struggle. You know, I was just, I just don't want any anyone to know that I had femininity in my life. So I was just trying to be very, um, you know, snobbish in my work. And I didn't, it wasn't great. You know, I wasn't enjoying it. But I used to go to the hotel room and I'd slip on a skirt and I will always I'll wear a maxi dress and I would sit and cry. Um, you know, that's how my days were. And I went through for a long time. And I came out to my wife. I told her that, uh, sweetheart, I'm going through something different here. Uh, I explained to her what I was going through, but she couldn't understand. You know, she said, um, and I, I think partly because I didn't know what to tell her. I said, hey, sweetheart, I am dress. I like to dress like in women's clothes. And she was telling me, if you like to dress in women's clothes, then don't dress up in women's clothes. So I didn't know how to answer that. You know, I was confused. And I, I told myself that, wow, this is, what do I tell her? How do I explain my struggles to her? And I tried to keep telling her that I'm, I've been going through since I was four years old. And she said, yeah, I know some, some people are like that. You know, they are, um, they have a fetish. Um, you know, you grow with a fetish and, Maybe this is your fetish. You can get over it. And you know, just talk to some counselors. So I, I spoke to a gay counselor in uh, Florida, and uh, he he listened to me and he said, uh, "See, I think you're a uh, you're gay." And I said, "No, no, no, I'm not gay. I'm not uh, attracted to men." Then he said, "No, you're a feminine gay." Uh, the reason why he said that is because he didn't know how to define what I was going through. He took my gender identity and confused it with sexual orientation again. And I, I told him, no, I'm not attracted to men. And what you're saying doesn't make any sense to me. And I, I, I don't know. I can't relate to it. And I didn't want to talk to him. And I said, thank you so much. And I moved on. So I said, you know what? I don't think people really understand what I'm going through. Um, and I will just stay as a cross-dresser. You know, maybe that's probably who I am. And at that time, there were just two... two uh, groups you know one was you're either a cross-dresser or you're a transsexual so if you're a cross-dresser you just just uh dress up and you're having fun if you're a transsexual then you're going through uh, surgery and it was called srs at the time it's not gender reassignment surgery they used to call it a sexual re reassignment surgery and uh, i didn't want to do neither i didn't fit into any of those buckets because i was going through gender dysphoria i was going through a lot of struggles and for me, just dressing up wasn't cutting it, you know. I wanted to really be a girl, um, but I didn't want to have surgery because I'd, I had a family, you know. I have a beautiful wife, I have a lovely daughter, and I didn't want to give them up at all. You know, I was holding on to them, and they were my only family in this country. And I was just holding on to them. I was thinking, I don't, I'll do anything to keep my family together. I'm, I'm not going to disappoint my wife and so I told my wife my struggles again and she said you know you need to get over it because this is hard you're successful in your business and uh, you can't be doing this um, so I just learned to suppress uh, again and again and it caused a lot more trauma and damage to my uh, to my life and I because I was always suppressing quite a bit and I didn't want to tell her everything I did and it was really hard and I went to bars and 
places where you found acceptance. You know, that was a wrong place, I would say. Um, and people thought I was a prostitute and they used to tell me, I'll give you 20 bucks for a blowjob. I was so upset. I was like, no, I have a family. I have a wife and child. Why are these people telling me this? I'm just here to have a drink and, you know, have a good time. And um, of course, I was not perceived that way. <laughs> they always looked at me as a prostitute or someone who would, you know, I was there just for sex. And um, I, I remember one night I was um, in, in the bar and there was another trans person who actually um, took advantage of me and she, she sexually abused me again. And uh, that was a time I didn't know. I was very vulnerable that time and I didn't know she was actually doing that to me. And suddenly she was like, huh. And I was like, oh my God, why did she do that? And uh, I, I, was, I just ran and came to my car. I started crying at 2.30 in the morning and I, I, I told and I was just praying and I was saying, what is happening to me? I, I cannot live yeah. like this. This is not my life. So I called the uh, LA LGBTQ Center and I told them that uh, I just want counseling. Can you help me? They were just back, you know, booked solid for like three, four months. Yeah. And uh, I didn't know what to do. And I said, I need to express my femininity and I don't want to do it in the wrong places. Well, how can you help me? They said, you know, talk to some churches and sometimes churches are open and uh, they can accept you. So I remember going to a church in Simi Valley and I spoke to the pastor and she accepted me. And then I went to the church, uh, Celia, and I was able to, you know, attend the service and everything, but I never came out. I know I never told who I am. I never told my story, but I used to go as Celia and just, um, you know, be in the church. I just liked being there. And I was also scared that God would hit me down, you know, because I'm a sinner and all my life till I was a child. You know, as a child, I've always been learning that you are a sinner when you, and God hates you. And people like you are the reason why Sodom and Gomorrah happened. And that's what I've been always hearing. And here I am actually walking into a church and just crying when the hymns were played. Because I, my tears were rolling down while I was sitting in the pews and I was thinking to myself, God, I have not seen you hit me or strike me down. Do you still love me in spite of who I am? You know, that was a question that I had. And I always believed that, you know, there was always this creator and there was someone so great and someone who would understand me more than human beings would. <laughs> and I always had this hope in my life, you know, this little hope. And I remember, and I think a lot of this changed when I was always living in denial in my life for almost for 42 years that I could get rid of this. You know, I could... If I want to stop, I can stop it. But it wasn't possible at all. You know, it was, it, you stop and then it came back again. Um, so it never stopped. It always used to come back again. And I was, um, then I knew that, you know, there, has, there are things in my life that I need to change. So I said to myself that I'm going to come out and tell my story. So I started coming out and I started telling my story in the newspaper. And uh, this was in Simi Valley in, uh, in California. <laughs> Simi Valley is where Reagan was uh, used to live. So it's a very conservative community. And a lot of people in that uh, community, when they saw my story, it came out in the newspaper. And I was upset. And I, my friends in the church, they said, you know, don't worry about it, Celia. There are always people who hate you. And I sat in my car and I started crying. I held this newspaper and I said, why are people so hateful? You know, I'm just trying to 
I, I, even given a chance, I don't want to go through this. Why don't they understand this is not a, a lifestyle that I chose? This is my life. It's nothing, there's no style to it. <laughs> you know, it's not, I'm different because it's not XY or XX chromosomes, but there are 23 pairs of chromosomes in my body that defines who I am. Why don't people understand that? And I'm born differently. And I started doing a lot of research and I knew that I was different. And I remember my life slowly started changing and I, um, I then quit my job that I was working for 20 years and I built uh, a huge businesses across the globe at the time. And I got a best, um, best manager, lots of awards I got um, you know, in my business. I was really successful. I got lots of deals. I won deals across the globe and I was uh, traveling and I was doing well. And then I resigned from that and I got another job and another job and kept going. <laughs> and then finally in my last job, I remember coming out and then um, in, in, into the LGBTQ uh, community within the company. And I came out to them and I told my story and things just, um, you know, started changing and I went into the corporate world and I moved from the corporate world into my, um, into my own uh, self-employment. So I started my own company. Uh, and I start, now I'm doing a strategic consulting, management consulting for biopharmaceuticals and healthcare. Um, so I'm still using my, uh, <laughs> my professional experience, but I, I believe that I, when I was looking for a job in a lot of the companies that have rainbow flags uh, flying during the June Pride Month, they all were ready to hire me, but they gave me a job at a much junior level. You know, not even a project manager. And I was literally, uh, you know, a senior director to vice president level in these companies, but they just gave me a job of a case manager. And that's the kind of life I, um, that's the kind of uh, companies, you know, I didn't want to join. So I, that's one of the reasons why I started my own company. And I started consulting for nonprofits and I started helping nonprofits uh, and, you know, during my, as a pro bono kind of work. And now I am actually the uh, executive director, um, executive board secretary for TransCan Work. So TransCan Work is a company that, uh, that uh, coaches the employees, employer, I'm sorry, the employers, and then the employees, trans employees as well so that you can fit into your corporate culture, you know, giving them training in various cultures and, um, you know, how the corporate culture works and how, you know, job required trainings, taking and uh, redefining some of the policies for trans and gender non-binary. So a lot of these things, um, the trans can work offers and also training to the companies. And I, I'm so glad to be a part of this company because uh, I'm, I'm able to, actually fulfill my dream both in the professional and as also as Celia. Um, so I got involved in the community and I'm uh, the reason why I gave an introduction as a human rights activist is um, I was just uh, looking at myself as a trans um, activist, but when I saw gun violence, when I saw the, the immigrant immigrants, um, you know, the children's being locked in cages, when I saw a lot of issues in healthcare discriminating against trans people, homelessness. Um, there was a lot of areas where I felt like I need to step up and help my, my community. I turned into a human rights activist where I was fighting for 
Black Lives Matters. I was fighting for brown folks. I was fighting for, um, you know, during coronavirus, the Asian community was being discriminated. Uh, so I was standing and fighting for all those rights, saying that, you know, this is not a Chinese virus. That's not how you address people. Um, these are things that are happening. So I, I wanted to, and I'm, you know, now I'm a vice president of uh, Stonewall Democrats in our Ventura County. The reason why I wanted to be politically active is if you want to make a change, you have to make it at the policy level. You know, you can make a change. And that's where my whole, um, you know, I just want to stop there because I, I've been doing a lot of work and um, I also wanted to quickly circle back on my family life because I know a few of you might have this question as to what happened to your wife and your daughter. Well, I'm still married to my beautiful wife and we've been married for 23 years and uh, it took 17 years for her to realize that her husband is not that different. And her husband is a wonderful human being. My wife told me you know, recently that, sweetheart, I'm so proud of you. And I was so happy to hear this from her. <laughs> And my daughter is 20 years old and she's one of my advocates and she advocates for her dad. <laughs> That's me. And I told her I will always be a dad. I'm not going to be a mom because you have a beautiful mom and I will be your dad and you'll be my daughter and I'll be a husband to your, to your mom. That's not going to change. We all live together in the same house and we still enjoy, we make fun, we joke. And uh, life is so easy when you accept someone. You know, I just want to pause there because this is where I think, um, you know, I know you have a lot of questions, uh, Chris. <laughs> I mean, just going on and on and let me just pause and, um, you know, let's go, go into the questions. But, I, you know, I'm, I'm so happy. I'm blessed. Uh, I have a lot of allies like yourself. In, and, you know, and I'm so happy to, you know, talk a little bit more about um, some of the areas that you really want to probe into today. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I, I love your story, even though I've heard it, you know, even though we've chatted before, mm -hmm. I still love your story. Absolutely love your story because it is, it is something that we need to educate others on. So I have to thank you for a, you know, just being brave and in sharing it and being willing and open to share it coming on to podcasts like mine, because I feel honored to Aww. be able to talk to you um, because these are, these are things that we need to learn. This is some, this is an education moment for myself. It's a very difficult thing to hear about and learn about because um, for myself, I, you know, when we talked last time before we hit record, mm -hmm. uh, when you were telling your story, um, you know, it, it really, it really shook me. Um, it, it shocked me personally, even though, you know, it, um, nothing like what you've had to endure has affected me, but just hearing and meeting someone that has had to endure the trauma that you've had to endure, um, you know, really moved me. Um, you know, I, you know, last time I was, I was practically in tears. Right. And it's just, it's so unfortunate because at the heart, at, at the end of the day, we are all people. And we unfortunately forget about that. We unfortunately put on this biased lens of discrimination and misunderstanding or lack of understanding, mm -hmm. a, a, a lack of empathy, a lack of compassion for other people. So the first thing, you know, before we get into the main topics um, that we wanted to talk about, 
just for the listeners out there who don't know, and you touched on it a little bit, can you please explain the difference between gender identity, gender expression, and sexual orientation? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm just going to you know, give you a very simple way to <laughs> remember this one. So if you identify in the gender that you're born, you're called a cisgender person. Uh, you know, like Chris, right? Chris identifies in the gender that he is born. Uh, he's a cisgender person. And uh, Celia, <laughs> me, um, I identify as a transgender person because I don't um, identify completely in the gender that I was born. Um, so I was born as a male, but I don't completely identify as a male. Um, so 90% or almost like 100% of my life, I you know, identify as Celia. And that's why I, um, I know that's why they're called transgender uh, and cisgender. That's the first, you know, bottom line. And then when you're talking about uh, sexual orientation, when you take the LGBTQ spectrum and, uh, you know, the, the, the acronyms are being added more and more. And I'm just going to pause at LGBTQ plus. Um, and the reason I'm going to, and I'm going to give you a quick explanation about sexual orientation and gender identity. So sexual orientation is, um, it's, from, you know, when, when you have people who are in the L, G, and B uh, spectrum, they are dealing with sexual orientation. The people who are uh, trans and uh, gender non-binary, they're dealing with gender identity. Um, so there are issues that are relating to gender identity. Um, as a simple way to remember these things, and I... Um, you know, they say that uh, sexual or orientation is between your thighs and gender identity is in your head. So um, the other way they explain is um, sexual orientation is whom you go to bed with and gender identity is whom do you go to bed as. So, uh, <laughs> so these are easy ways to remember uh, sexual orientation and gender identity. Now, um, I just like to put, uh, you know, if you're making lasagna, right, we put layers and layers of um, stuff in it. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not a cook, but I, I'm just going to layer it for you. So the bottom line is the human uh, birth. So I, I'm going to call it as a birth gender. You know, I'm, the birth gender is always the gender that you're born. You're either born as male, female, or also androgynous. There are people who are born in both sexes too. But I'm just going to uh, explain uh, Celia's life, right? Celia was born as a male. So that's my birth gender and I identify as a, a, a woman uh, so that's my preferred gender so that becomes my gender identity so my birth gender is one but my gender identity is a woman and then my gender expression is always related to in the gender identity that I choose so since I'm a woman I like to express as a woman um, and I like to uh, so my gender a birth gender gender identity and gender expression on top of it. It's based on my uh, gender identity, which is a woman. And then um, there is another thing which I want to add. It's called uh, whom you're attracted to. You know, it's your romantic attraction. Uh, it could be a sexual attraction. So for me, that is basically my, I'm attracted to women. So that's how I would put, uh, you know, the, on top of it. So there are, and there's another one that I also want to add is called gender roles. So gender roles are based on the identity that you choose. Suppose I, I, um, you know, I'm, I like to be a woman and that's my gender identity as Celia. 
And then my gender expression is also as a woman. And the gender role that I perform is based on how I identify myself. You know, so I, um, I perform the role like a woman, you know, that's how I, I identify today. And so everything that I do, I try to keep it more um, either gender neutral or more feminine in my expression, the way I so that is how these layers are being identified. <laughs> it's a very simple way to put it in there. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that because I, I, I didn't, um, I didn't even know about, you know, just thinking about gender role itself yeah. and that's a very applicable thing. So again, I, I'm learning as you know, we're talking, I, I'm not going to at all pretend even remotely, like <laughs> I know all of this. Um, this is just as much of a learning experience for myself as it is for, uh, you know, whoever's listening. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I think it goes to show the level of nuance there is not just for, and this does not just apply to people uh, who you know, in the LGBTQ plus community, right? This also applies to us who are cisgendered, who are, uh, who are, do identify as um, uh, a heterosexual, right? Mm-hmm. Like this, this is, or, you know, as some people say, well, like quote unquote, and I'm using really big quotes here, normal, um, because that's not, you know, that's not a thing. Um, the, we, we have, all of us have these nuances, we all have these layers to us mm-hmm. um, and something that humans from a psychological standpoint, we like putting things in buckets. We like having patterns. It helps us decipher the world easier. And when we cannot easily put something into a bucket, uh, including people, that is where we jump to conclusions. We jump to hate rather than understanding and learning, right? Celia, you shared this yourself. You did not identify as transsexual or as cisgendered, um, uh, you, right? You were you did not fall into those two buckets earlier in your life, and so, and so it's very important for us. Uh, just as a society and for us as people to understand that we need to learn and we need to have an open mind to learn more about people. And we have to have a more empathetic mindset to learn where people are coming from. This is one of the reasons why I want to talk to you and share your stories because people need to understand the nuance and the intersectionality of people's identities and, um, you know, as we go into this, uh, as we talk more, I, I hope people truly understand just how important this is, um, not only just for the LGBTQ plus community, but just for us as a society. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that is the end of side A. Please flip the cassette tape to side B to listen to part two, where Celia and I talk about corporate diversity, equity, and inclusion, the importance of allyship, how integration into an organizational culture is proactive compared to inclusion being reactive, and the importance of community activism.